Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. You're listening to Yeah Na Passaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith, and this week I am joined from Aotearoa by activist Valerie Morse. Kia ora, Val. Kia ora, Cam. Val, just to begin with, we've got you on the show this week because there is a, a racist tour going around New Zealand led by a guy called Julian Batchelor, and I thought it would be interesting to talk to someone in Aotearoa about it. So I guess just to begin with, it's all about stopping co-governance. Could you explain to our listeners what co-governance is? So co-governance is an attempt by the liberal state to bring Māori into positions of management over resources, over public agencies. And it's been a feature of political life here in New Zealand for a number of years, 20 years at least. And that's primarily been in areas around natural resource management, so water management in particular. But in the last couple of years, there have been attempts to more, I suppose, bring Māori into management and co-governance around public sector agencies. So the health sector, for example. And this is a, this is a bit of a shift. And it's pre- predominantly because outcomes for Māori in many areas really haven't changed very much. So the institutional racism that is a feature of public life here in, in Aotearoa in New Zealand continues. And the, the outcomes for Māori in terms of health, home ownership, incarceration, all those kinds of socioeconomic indicators continue to put Māori at the very bottom here. So it has been an attempt by the Liberal state to, to shift things a little bit in the last couple of years. Could, could you speak a little bit to how the Treaty of Waitangi fits into all of this? I guess from reading about it, it seems like you know there were two, essentially two treaties signed, one that was more favourable to Pākehā and one that seemed like not such a bad deal at the time to Māori. And yeah, a lot of the whinging and sucking around co-governance seems to revolve around the fact that maybe the the one that didn't seem like such a bad deal is the way it's being interpreted now. So there are two versions of the treaty. There is an English version and a Māori version. And in international law, if there is a treaty in the Indigenous language, that is that is the one that has has preference, is understood to be the legally binding instrument. And so that treaty we call Tetiriti or Waitangi in the Māori language essentially guarantees for Māori their sovereignty. And that has been upheld by the New Zealand state's own judicial institutions who have said Māori never ceded sovereignty. In the English version of the treaty, that is somewhat contested and there's different language about governorship. And and I think 
there is there is a lot of discussion and debate but to be honest that really that discussion and debate about about the treaty is is only going on in a very small sector of 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 that racist society for the for the overwhelming majority of people in Aotearoa New Zealand we understand that Tetiriti or Waitangi the, the Maori version is the one that most Māori signed, most um, tribal leaders signed, and is the one that actually is recognised internationally. So they try to invoke this English version of the text. It really doesn't hold much water, but um, they still keep trying that on. You then, on top of all this, you have this, it seems there was some secret government program in the 60s or 70s to, in a lab, create the world's saddest real estate agent in the form of Julian Batchelor. Could you tell us a little bit about who this Julian Batchelor guy is and what his his grievance is? Well, so Julian Batchelor appears to be an evangelical preacher and a failed real estate agent. And his he's got a personal grievance with Māori up in the north where he lives, which is up near Russell, which is very close to where the treaty itself was actually signed. And from my understanding of the situation, he bought a piece of land. There is what's called wahitapu or sacred there are sacred sites on that land, and that has been inhibiting his ability to develop that um, piece of land. And he's very, very angry about it. And so he's launched into this nationwide campaign. But to be honest, I think his campaign really dovetails actually with a wider campaign by, by an organization called the Taxpayers Union, who have really been at the forefront of the fight against co-governance. And they are essentially the, the the conservative right that are, you know, akin to your liberal party in Australia. And they have really been banging the drum about a number of government programs that would bring in co-governance measures. And they're actually, in my mind, in some ways, far more dangerous than Bachelor because they're far better resourced and far more organized than Bachelor and looks set to be a significant contributor to the next government. So he's the populist face of the anti-co-governance movement, of the racist movement. The taxpayer union and what sits behind it, the ACT Party, are really the much more powerful institutional forces of white supremacist violence happening. As well as ACT and uh, the taxpayers union, could you situate him in terms of a broader anti-Maori movement. I noticed one of the things that he seems to go on about a little bit is this idea that there was, you know, a pre-existing civilization in New Zealand before the Maori came and that this somehow uh, removes any claim they might have to sovereignty. Yeah, I, I would say that Julian Batchelor sits in a really long line of of anti-Maori sentiment in Aotearoa. I mean, essentially the, the the entire settlement of the country. But up in the up in the north where he lives, there is certainly a very deep strain of what we would call the One New Zealand movement, which is not dissimilar from your own Pauline Hanson esque group of people over there, and they make this claim that Celts. There's a number of different claims that they make, but but the, they, they center around this idea that there was a Celtic civilization that was here, and they make all these claims about white Aryan people being, you know, these skeletons being found on the beaches of Northland that predate Māori settlement. All of these kinds of nonsense ideas, which have been thoroughly discredited, but rear their heads every couple of years. And what ultimately seems to be sit behind most of these people is a personal property grievance that they have. And so Julian Batchelor is actually just the latest iteration of these 
these people who are attempting to further their own personal agenda, but situated in a wider and longer trajectory of anti-Mahdi sentiment and anti-Mahdi moves, political moves throughout the country. So I think, you know, there there is a shift going on in Aotearoa. There is a, a really exciting shift towards decolonization. And this is a huge part of the backlash towards that. So Bachelor is is playing to audiences of 80, you know, the, the average age is about 75 or 80 years old. So it's not a young generation that he's talking to. He's talking to people about an imaginary past and, and, and finding some receptive ears there. I was surprised to see that it seems that on a number of occasions he's employed members of the National Front as security or, or ex-members like Carl Chapman, who if I recall, famously committed an arson of a marae. He claims he's not racist. Is that uh, typical behaviour for non-racists to be employing neo-Nazis as their security? Well, I think I think Julian Batchelor's meetings have been characterised by the exclusion of Māori. So the people that have been working the door at these events, and that includes Kyle Chapman down in Christchurch, have specifically and intentionally excluded Māori who they describe as bad Māori. So those who they think are coming in to be disruptive. And they're typically Māori who are able to be identified through some specific way, like a a mokokowai, a chin tattoo, or a facial tattoo, arm tattoo, whatever. And those people have been specifically excluded from those events. Kyle Chapman was operating outside, it seems to be outside of the, the bounds of legal security work in Christchurch, because you can't just go around and call yourself a security guard. So there has been a complaint filed against him and a number of his colleagues, I guess, who were acting as as security on the night of Julian Batchelor's Christchurch event, and, and which at which we saw certainly Māori specifically excluded from the event. So it is unsurprising, but I guess very worrying that while this was all going on, you know, the New Zealand police have, have stood by and allowed this stuff to carry on. I also noted that we're recording this on Tuesday. I, I dipped into the Stopco Governance's official Telegram chats this morning and saw things being posted like conspiracy theories around the Christchurch massacre, which seemed to be met with very little resistance from the, the pro-Stopco Governance people. I think somebody did point out that it was posted in the, the wrong chat, but other than that, no objection. Where, where does this opposition to co-governance fit into maybe the conspiratorial movements that we saw spring up around COVID and again with the occupation at Parliament in Wellington? Well, I, I guess what I would say is that I, I feel like there is an enormous crossover of these audiences and that you're not getting much pushback just goes to show how these entry points are opened up to people so they they become seduced by a particular idea that has some resonance for them, in this case, anti-co-governance, and they feel like there's something valid in there for them. Somebody else comes along and introduces an even more horrific and extreme idea. And because there is no backlash to that, there's nobody speaking up and saying, hey, this is outrageous. Those ideas become then normalized and people, again, start to take more and more of this stuff on board. So I think there is a, a great deal of crossover. We've got a lot of the evangelical Christian movement now in a melting pot with the neo-Nazis and, and a wider, a much broader audience of general anti-Maori sentiment that exists across New Zealand society. So I think there is a great deal of cross-fertilization going on of some of the more extreme ideas. And those people, those, those, the anti 
anti-vax people, the anti-mandate people, they haven't gone anywhere. They they have just pivoted, many of them, to different different conspiracies and different ideas and different platforms for organizing. So I think that's what we're seeing in, in this case. And it stands to reason we've got anti-Mahdi and anti-Muslim sentiments being mixed up. No real surprise there. Uh, there's been widespread opposition to this tour. Could you tell us a little bit about how that's been organized and how it's been playing out? Well, I think one of the interesting things, Cam, about this, about the resistance to this, is that while some of it has most certainly been organized, a great deal of it has not been particularly organized, but comes from genuinely from ordinary people in the community um, being disgusted by this, the, the suggestion that there is some issue with Māori being at the table. So I think that's that's been really inspiring for lots of us, um, in you know, and that's been happening outside of the major centres. In the major centres, what we've seen, so in Auckland, in Wellington, in Christchurch, in Dunedin, we've seen regular, re- repeated, organised demonstrations against against these meetings. And in many cases, Bachelor has had his venues cancelled. He's had to shift venues at the last minute. He's had to go, you know, and live stream his meetings because he can't actually find a venue. So the other day, for example, he was headed up to New Plymouth, up in Taranaki, and and he had advertised a meeting up there. And then on Sunday, apparently, he was confronted by Mana Whenua as he was searching around for a hotel to host him. And he was last found crying in tears because he couldn't find anybody to host him. And he was being challenged by the local people up there. So for some of your listeners who may not know, of course, Taranaki in New Plymouth is one of the areas where there were millions of acres of Māori land that were literally stolen in a fake war waged by the government to go in and thieve land back in the starting in the 1860s. So it is one of the areas of the largest land loss for Māori in the country and remains, you know, an an incredible place of sorrow for those those losses. Speaking to some friends in Aotearoa, especially in small towns, one thing that they've said to me about this tour is that obviously it's not great, it's happening but you're never really sure living in a small New Zealand town, like how many of your neighbours are dickheads, basically. And it's been really heartening to go out and see the response from the community to these things, which is overwhelmingly telling them to piss off. That's, I think that's right. And, and again, I guess just to go back to what I started to talk about a little bit earlier, which is that there is a huge amount of energy in the country right now for decolonization and for those conversations. Like it is really, really exciting to be here and to be amongst those conversations and to, to see Māori really embracing and dreaming about what a world beyond colonization might look like here. So I think that's, that sits, and, and I think for so many Pākehā and, and non-Māori what we call Tawiwi, people, uh, you know, people of color who have have either immigrated here or who are second or third generation or have been here for a very long time, is is that we, see, you know, we can see that there are many of the answers to contemporary problems by embracing decolonization. So we can see that we need to undo the forces of patriarchy of of capitalism that have brought us to this real point of almost complete destruction here. You know, we have so many social um, and environmental problems here in in New Zealand right now that it is, you know, we are absolutely 
yeah, really, really under the boot. And we need we need to 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 forge a different way forward. And people can see that Tiao Māori, the Māori worldview, provides a really different blueprint for us going forward. So I think that's the that's the really positive thing is that that has become that is a national uh, movement embraced by by people across the board. So it is really exciting. Bachelor represents you know a different a different age that probably actually never existed. But unfortunately, they are making common cause with a lot of other conspiracy theorists and racists along the way. So that's where it's picking up some momentum. You're a few months out from the next election in Aotearoa. Is this a, obviously this is something that they're trying to put on the, the table as an election issue. Is this something that mainstream uh, political parties are engaging with at all? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like this, this is a significant election issue. And I guess, again, going back to what I was talking about a little bit earlier, the taxpayer union is the predominant voice of the organized right. And they are extremely well resourced. They have, you know, a big, a big war chest to wage really what I'd call class war against ordinary working class people across the board. And I guess just on that note, one of the interesting things about Julian Batchelor is, is that the argument that he tries to run is that he's not fighting against all Mahdi. He's fighting against this Mahdi elite. And so this is this really interesting attempt to divide Mahdi society into these, into the good Mahdi, the ordinary Mahdi, the Mahdi that might be down the street from you with this secret elite cabal that's actually orchestrating this co-governance agenda, this UN agenda, you know, and, and then of course we get the tie-in with with the wider conspiratorial ideas in existence around the UN. And and so I, I think all of this stuff is playing out, but where it's coming from in into the political discourse is certainly straight into the mainstream because the ACT Party is pulling the National Party which is, is the center-right party, not currently in government, pulling them further to the right. The, the National Party was actually a party that instituted a number of co-governance arrangements, but now we've got the potential future prime minister saying he's not sure about those kinds of ideas. And a lot of that discussion, you know, the ACT Party wants to have a referendum on, on the treaty on co-governance ideas. So he's they're really, really pushing this idea forward yeah, trying to mainstream this racist uh, agenda. And what's been the response of, I guess, the mainstream media? I note, like in Australia, we there's a, a voice to parliament currently being debated, and this has become a hot button issue for for the media. With I think Sky News even launching a, a channel specifically devoted to discussing the voice. What's been the mainstream media reaction to this stop co governance business? Well, I, I would say that the mainstream reaction to the stop co governance stuff has has largely focused on trying to debunk the claims that Julian Batchelor makes, which is great. You know, that that there is an attempt to say actually most of what he's saying doesn't bear much relationship to the truth. I guess what I would say is again much more worrying is is that the other discussions about co-governance that are going on, so for example, around what they call the Three Waters Program, which was a, an attempt to reform water management in New, in New Zealand, um, those conversations have been much less uh, well-examined, I guess, by the media. And the, 
racism, which is part and parcel of arguing against these proposals, hasn't really been unpicked very much by the media. So I think there's a, there's a, a really ugly populist side of that that's going forward that's quite clearly racist. And that's Julian Batchelor. That's this co-governance. You know, he drives around in this station wagon that's branded Stop Co-Governance. And he's he's very loud and proud to take his, his message forward. But there's, as I said, I, I would say this much more powerful force that's sitting behind Batchelor that's actually bringing this stuff far more into the middle of the, the political political discourse and, and argument going on in this country. And that's what's really frightening is, is that those kinds of things are now infecting local government. Um, and, and a lot of these co-governance arrangements around natural resources sit at local government level. So you've got a lot of racist local government officials and elected uh, members of councils who are now pushing back against what have been existing co-governance arrangements. So I think that's the scary thing is, is that all of this stuff does have a momentum that gets picked up in different corners of political operation and is carried out in different ways. And, and that's what we're starting to see across the country. So up in the far north, you're seeing a lot of it. But around the country, Maori are, are, are really feeling that. Iwi groups are feeling this pushback from council representatives, councillors, who are saying, oh, actually, we don't want to, we don't want to engage in that way anymore. So it, it, it's quite frightening. And I think that's why it is so important that we are out on the streets, we're opposing this, we're saying, actually, you're not going to meet in our communities, this is not what we want our communities to be. And there have been some outspoken councillors, there have been some outspoken members of council, but we, we would really like to see quite a lot more of that. We need to see mayors coming out, we need to see councillors coming out and saying, not in our town, you're not going to meet. And not being, you know, beaten in, into submission by the rabid free speech lobby, and which is which is also a, a, another feature, another facet of this whole discussion. Fel, you mentioned earlier the taxpayers' union and how well resourced they are. I'd assume from the name that that's from you know the the membership dues of the taxpayers who make up the union, or is there perhaps some other source of funding that they have? Well, that's a very good question. And I know the other day I looked at Julian Batchelor's organizing materials for his meetings. So he's he's putting this material out there and saying, if you want to organize your a meeting in your community, I will give you $1,000 for this meeting. So if anybody has ever organized a public meeting, you know that that would be an enormous sum of money to organize what is something happening down at your local hall. And that he's doing this across the country would suggest that Batchelor himself has been very well resourced from somebody from the outset. As to the taxpayers' union, it is not clear where their money comes from, but certainly they they must they and the free speech union must have some very very large and corporate donors whose agenda they are quite happy to carry out. Yeah. Does this tour draw inspiration from populist movements seen overseas, or is this like very much a homegrown effort? I'm probably not very well placed to answer that question, Cam, but I would say, again, that Bachelor comes from a long line of very similar stuff that has happened throughout Aotearoa's colonial history here. So he is, he is not alone in, in, in putting forward these, these ideas. And he sits within a, yeah, a wider ecosystem of anti-Māori hatred that has been you know, a, a feature of this country since really since 1840. So it's, I think that there are certainly overseas influences, 
But the issues around co-governance and around the treaty are pretty unique to Aotearoa. We, we have a treaty settlement process that has been in place since, since the 1975 Treaty of Waitangi Act. And there is an attempt to make some reparations to Māori for stolen lands, for breaches of the treaty, for the violence carried out against Māori, including murder and rape, which is not not unique in the world, but is but is pretty special. And I wouldn't say that that it's amazing. Like for many Māori, you know, I figured out the other day that the the value of the land taken from Māori in today's money is about six hundred and fifty seven billion dollars. And the amount of money that's been given to Māori in land and cash settlement is about $3 billion. And that $657 billion doesn't include any rent for the 96% of Aotearoa which was taken. So, yeah, there's a huge disparity. And when we come down to it, a lot of this is just about resources. It is about the capitalist class in this country continuing to be able to exploit land and resources and do whatever and pollute and do whatever it is that they want, unfettered by anybody and particularly unfettered by claims by Māori about their relationship to the land. So that's why they have, you know, Bachelor has launched this campaign. That's why the ACT Party and the Taxpayers Union is pushing so hard against this because they want to be able to continue uh, to profit and funnel funds into the, the wealthiest people in this country. And, yeah, we, we have some huge changes that need to happen to stop that from carrying on. So that's where things are at at the moment politically. Well, Val, we'll leave it there. If people want to find out more information about opposition to the Stop Co-Governance Tour, where could they look? We would encourage people to look on the Poneki Anti-Fascist Coalition anti-fascist Ototahi and Otipoti, and on Twitter, the Aotearoa anti-fascist feed, there's Tarangi Kaifiria Kemera, who is a, a prominent anti-fascist researcher who's got lots of fantastic stuff about what's going on with the anti-fascist movement in Aotearoa. So yeah, really encourage everybody to tune in there. I guess also a little shout out to Tamaki Anti-Fascist Action, who always <laughs> plug the show every week without fail. Check them out as well. All right, Val, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Cam. All right. We will be back next week, folks. See you then.
Have you experienced or seen racism against blackfellas? Report racism against First Nations people with Call It Out, an online register to expose racism. Stand up. Be heard. Call it out. Go to callitout.com.au. A 3CR supporter. Where does the profit your power company makes end up? If you join CoPower, you get to decide where 100% of our revenue goes. So while we work to dismantle the whole broken energy market, our members are building the world they want to live in by supporting strike funds, renewables projects, anti-poverty initiatives, and much more. So change your power company and then start changing everything else. That's what CoPower is all about. Victorian energy fact sheets and basic plan information documents are available at cooperativepower.org.au. For clear advice on the right plan for you, contact us on 03 9068 6036. A 3CR supporter.